Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast More Than Medical Students, the podcast that brings forward inspiring medical students and shares their journeys, the exciting projects they're part of and how this can also inspire you. My name is Marianne and I'm the host and creator of this podcast. You may know me from my Instagram page called Marianne Does Medicine where I share my day-to-day life as a medical student as well as tips for other students. We are medical students but we are all so much more than that. Join me in this podcast to celebrate our diversity, our uniqueness and what really makes us, us. Hi everyone and welcome to this new episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining us today on More Than Medical Students. Today I'm joined by Delia. Thanks for joining me today. Do you want yeah, to introduce you. yourself for everyone? Sure. Um, so my name is Delia Sosa. I use they them pronouns. Um, I am a medical student living in the United States and I am a person of trans experience. So that actually ties a lot into the type of medicine I want to do and I'm sure that we'll chat more about that as we go along. Great, yes, and thank you again for accepting to take time out of your busy schedule to come and chat to us about everything that you do at med school and outside of medical school as well. I'm sure it's going to be really interesting. So, yes, so you're a medical student in the US, and you're in your first year, isn't it? I think you were telling me. Um, So I'd love to hear about your journey in, you know, getting to medical school and also how has first year been, so if you can tell us a bit about that. Sure. So I always kind of knew that I wanted to be a doctor. It was one of those things where like my mom was a nurse, so I got exposed to medicine from a really young age. And as I was growing up, I kind of figured out more and more what I was interested in. For a while, I thought I wanted to go into the Coast Guard and like be a first responder with them. And that didn't work out. But (laughs) um, I ended up deciding to pursue medicine because it felt like I could have the most impact there. And when I was 13, I figured out that I am gay. I figured out that I'm part of the LGBTQ plus community. So I lived in a relatively conservative area at the time. And it was really hard for me to be a little gay kid in that community because I just, I didn't have anyone to turn to. I couldn't talk to my doctor about it. I could barely talk to my parents about it at the time. Um, My parents ended up being really supportive, thankfully. But when I was young, I just, I didn't know that like I could turn to them for that. Um, So when I got older, I actually moved out to a different part of the U.S. And at that time, I figured out that I'm transgender. Um, That was something I didn't know before I had left because I just didn't know any trans people growing up. I didn't really know anything about the trans community. I always felt like there was something different, but I didn't have the language to explain it. So um, in college, that was sort of when I started figuring out my transness and I was simultaneously getting ready to apply to med school. Had a couple of bumps along the way, so I had to take a few gap years, but that ultimately ended up being a really positive thing because it helped me figure out where the intersection of my identity and my path to medicine was and how I could have the most impact in terms of helping 
trans non-binary and gender expansive people access healthcare. Um, so I ended up taking three gap years after college. The first one I spent getting a master's degree in biomedical science. That was sort of to help bolster my application a little bit because mm -hmm. I had struggled a lot in college. And then the last two years, I was actually working in clinical oncology research. And my main focus was on cancer patients who were also transgender and what their lived experiences were like, as well as like specific types of cancers that hadn't necessarily been studied in the trans community. So that was a really positive experience and has actually shaped a little bit of what I've done in medical school. Now I'm here. Um, the political situation in the U.S. is a mess right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's really scary to be a trans person here, but I'm just trying to get through medical school as best as I can, trying to focus on learning what I need to learn and not letting what is happening around me get to me too much. Mm. Yeah, and I'm always sorry to hear about, you know, what's happening um, in the US. And thank you for sharing all that. That's very nice to just hear what you're seeing with like all this honesty and openness that you have. So thank you so much. And it's really nice to hear your journey and how like you said your personal life is so tied into why you want to do medicine. And it's honestly super, super interesting to hear about all that. Great. You took three gap years. That's really interesting. Although if in the master's years is a master's years is studying here isn't it um and did you just do the undergrad like the pre-med kind of usual courses or how was that yeah so I did the pre-med classes in undergrad but I am <laughs> my undergrad was sort of also preparing a backup plan in case mm. medicine didn't work out because medicine in the U.S. is so competitive to get yeah. into that a lot of people don't end up making it there so I had to sort of think to myself, like, if I don't get into medical school and that just doesn't work out for me, what do I want to do? And I knew that I didn't want to do biology or chemistry or physics. That was just not something that I wanted to do as a career because I'm more interested in the part of medicine that looks at the whole person. So I started thinking about what other paths I could go down. And I actually ended up deciding on sociology because there's a whole subset of sociology that focuses on medicine and health and actually looks at medical systems and medical institutions and what we can do to make them work better for both the patients that are existing in them and the providers that are working in them. So I kind of ended up doing half sociology, half pre-med, and it was a really nice balance. It actually it made a big difference in terms of my ability to get through college and actually enjoy what I was doing. That's really interesting. And like you said, it's really interesting to also look at it from the sociology side, like the provider experience, but also the, the patient experience. So if some people here are not exactly sure what sociology is, would you mind, do you have a little like brief explanation uh, if some people are not familiar with it? Yeah, so sociology is basically looking at the relationships between people and systems and institutions and how all of those relationships play into one another. Um, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of sociology. There's sociology looking at urban planning and urban structure. There's sociology looking at mental health. Mm -hmm. You really can kind of subspecialize in a bunch yeah. of different things as long as it has to do with the relationships between people and systems. 
then you're looking at sociology pretty much. Mm. Yeah, that that's really interesting. And I feel like that will be really useful in medical school, like as a doctor, because I feel like often we get taught a lot about, like you said, the human body, but maybe not so much about you know, the society and how that influences diseases and that other things as well, like receiving treatment. Do you think that's something that's going to be really valuable to you as well down the line? Oh yeah, it already has been. Like even in my first year of medical school, we've had some classes where they've actually brought in a lot of concepts from sociology and talked about how that plays into people's physical health, how it plays into mental health, and kind of the interactions between all of those. And I feel like there's not enough focus on sociology and medicine in general. So having that background and coming into medical school with that, understanding that there's so much more going into a patient's story than just what's happening in their body, it's really made a big difference so far. And I'm actually kind of excited to see how it plays into my future career in medicine and what I'm able to do to help patients. Great, yeah, super interesting. And you mentioned that, you know, medicine is very competitive and this pre-med time can be really stressful and people's like mental health can really also suffer during that time. Do you, do you have any like, you know, tips and advice that you would tell those people that are currently doing pre-med and are struggling? Yeah, the biggest thing that I can offer is to not compare yourself to other people. There are going to be so many people around you who are, you know, talking about their grades, talking about all their activities, talking about what they're doing, X, Y, and Z to prepare. And I actually had people say to me like, oh, you're not doing this thing. You're not going to get into med school. And it was, (laughs) it was so competitive. So the best piece of advice I can offer is to just focus on your own path. Um, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but at least in the, in the U.S., they really take a more holistic approach to med school applications. So, I mean, you have to have a decent MCAT score. You have to have decent grades to get into medical school. But they also want to see, you know, are you following things that you're passionate about? Are you doing clinical activities and volunteering that you actually want to do and are enjoying rather than things you feel like you have to do? So... The most important thing is really to just figure out what you enjoy and follow that because that's what med schools are going to want to see and it'll ultimately help your own mental health too in the process. Mm, For sure, that's really interesting and it's very important to remind people of that because like you say, some people, you know, they just tick, like try to tick all the boxes and do so many activities but ultimately, I guess specifically the interview process, they'll want to get to know you and why you want to do medicine and so so yeah that's some really good advice great and how have you found first year so far how's it been so it's been up and down (laughs) every first year at every medical school is a little bit different because the order of classes is different at my med school we start with um well we have a couple of like shorter classes that are more hands-on and it's just kind of like an introduction to medical school like one of them we get certified in first response and I love that so that wasn't too bad and then our first major class of medical school was biochem I am not good at biochem at all so I really struggled through that class but we made it through it was okay 
And after that, we got more into each organ system. So we started with blood. That was so much fun. And we went into um, musculoskeletal. We ended with nervous system, which is just kind of a beast of a class. Yeah, (laughs) it really is. Um, It's interesting. Like, I think there's a lot of cool information to learn and once you actually get the gist of the nervous system, it's it's kind of fascinating, but it's really difficult. Um, and we were learning psychiatry at the same time. So, to, yeah, to have both things at the same time. In On one hand, it was a nice balance to have the two mixed together and sort of get a break from neuro every once in a while. And on the other hand, it was exhausting having two classes kind of built into one. So I'm just happy that (laughs) M2 is on the horizon. (laughs) We're almost there. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a really busy year. Um, Yeah, I think we were were chatting a little bit before this episode, and I was like, I hope the second year is better, and hopefully placements as well will be super interesting (laughs) for you. And I think if anyone's listening to the podcast and also, you know, is in first year or is just finishing first year, congrats to you and... Um, it gets better, I think I would say from from my experience. So, yeah, <laughs> that's good to hear. <laughs> Great. Um, I wanted to talk, as you mentioned earlier, about you your campaigning on social media and other places for LGBTQ community. And do you want to tell us a bit more about that and when did that start and everything? Yeah. So that started. Goodness, it, I really got into it about a year ago. But I formally started a year and a half ago. It just kind of took me a while to get into it. Um, It really kicked off when things started getting a little bit scarier for the LGBTQ plus community in the U.S. Um, Just to give a little bit of background for those who might not know what's happening. Right now, there have been over 500 proposed bills that would either ban gender affirming care for transgender youth or adults. would prevent transgender people from using the bathroom that corresponds to our gender. Um, There have been bills that would ban transgender youth from participating in sports that align with their gender identity. There have been bills that would prevent students from talking about LGBTQ identities in their own schools. And if they were to disclose to a counselor or a teacher that they were part of the community, that person would be required to tell the student's parents, which can end up being really dangerous for those Mm -hmm. students, especially because there are a lot of conservative communities in the U.S., and it's not always safe for these kids to be out to their families. Um, So when those bills really started ramping up in 2022, that was when I started speaking out on this especially because a lot of the bills have to do with healthcare, And I knew that I was going into, I knew that I just had to say something and I had to start doing something about it. It's really easy to feel powerless when you're one person working in a system that is working against you. Um, So to even be able to say one thing or change one person's mind, it really, it feels at least like we're taking some control back and taking some control of our lives. And especially because, you know, these laws are being made by people who are trying to take control of our lives. To have that control back really makes a big difference. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that again. And yeah, again, it, it, like you said, it's very scary and very sad what's happening. And um, even you know, from watching it from abroad, it's it's just very difficult to hear about all that. So yeah, and it's a really important topic to talk about and to campaign for. So thank you for all your work so far. And so how did you start at the beginning? Was it on social media straight away or was it somewhere different that you started? Yeah, so I actually started back in college was really when this kind of kicked off. Um, my my partner is also part of the community and um, the two of us together started an organization at our college that was specifically focused on LGBTQ health and trying to bring resources to our college campus to help LGBTQ people feel safer in accessing healthcare there. Thankfully, the political situation was a little different at the time. So, you know, we weren't as worried about people's health outside of our own campus, and we were just kind of able to focus on that. But when I got to my master's program, I started to realize that not everyone was acutely aware of what it's like to be an LGBTQ plus person in the healthcare system and trying to mm. access healthcare. It's a very unique experience and it's a hard thing to understand when you haven't lived it yourself. So when I was in my master's program, that was actually the year that I came out and um, mm. I started chatting with my professors and some of my classmates about what it was like to be a trans person accessing healthcare. Um, I was kind of always the one challenging things that were said in class. Like if someone said something that was transphobic or false about the trans community, I was the one to raise my hand and say like, hey, that's not correct. Can we maybe talk about that? Um, so it kind of started there and then blossomed into social media after that. And then when things started getting a lot worse, with the politics in the U.S. and with all of the bills being proposed, I started doing more formal advocacy. So I started testifying on a local and like state and national level and started doing a lot more activism like with our National Medical Association, with our state medical association, because that's really a space where we have a little bit more ability to make a change because it's just a larger group of people rather than just me working to try and scream as loud as I can. Hmm. Oh, so many interesting things that you said and so many questions as well that I want to ask you. The first thing I, I wanted to ask you was, it's really great that you did this project of, at your university and at your college, like you said, because sometimes we feel like, you know, we have to do something huge immediately where actually it might be really good to start you know, near where we are and at our small level. Do you mind telling us a bit more about that? Like, what sort of things were you able to put forward with that uh, project in college at the time? Yeah, so the sad thing was that we started during our senior year of college, so mm. we weren't able to get as much done as we wanted to. But the biggest project that we got done was bringing what's called cue cards to our campus. So cue cards are these little index cards that have lines for different information on the inside. Um, so it has like your legal name and your chosen name. It has your pronouns. It has whether you're on any gender affirming hormone therapy, um, your sexual orientation, romantic orientation, gender identity, all of that information that 
is relevant to being an LGBTQ plus person and is also relevant to accessing safe and appropriate healthcare. And the reason that we wanted to get these cue cards on campus is because a lot of times when people go to the doctor or the emergency room or are just trying to access any kind of healthcare, they get asked the same questions over and over again. And it can feel very invasive and probing, especially when people don't fully understand the identities that people hold around their romantic orientation or sexual orientation or gender. And we wanted to give people a way to share that information without being asked invasive questions every single time they go to the doctor. They could just present that card and say, like, this is all the information that I have. If you have questions, you can ask me, but I'd prefer if you just read this first. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. So that really helps people communicating with the healthcare professional in a way that's not also draining for them as Mm -hmm. a not having to repeat the same things all the time. That's really interesting. And that's an example, I guess, of how you, with your experience, you can have ideas to implement in the healthcare system that can improve patients' experience. So that's really interesting. What was it like to try to implement things in college? Um, Were people, you know, in college supportive or I guess the, the admin people? Yeah, so we were kind of doing this as a student organization, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't well known to the entire college community. It was something that started with a relatively small group of students. So the folks who knew about it were very receptive to it and excited about it. We were able to share it with some folks from student health and from student counseling, um, and they seemed pretty excited about it as well, but it wasn't mm-hmm. something that ever really made it to the larger university. We went to a relatively big university. It it wasn't super small, like a, like a liberal arts college mm-hmm. or anything like that. So it was kind of difficult when there were changes made like that for everyone to see them. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the folks who did see them were receptive to it, which we were really happy about. That That's really good, yeah. And student organizations are a really good way of starting, like we said, starting small and doing a big change at our level and trying to implement different things. That's really interesting. Do you have any maybe tips for anyone else who's in college or at uni trying to start some organization or to, to do some work in the student organization space? Do you have any tips for them or how they can start? Yeah, so two major tips. One would be to find as many students as you can who are interested in the cause that you're trying to organize around. One of the biggest challenges that my partner and I faced was that we didn't have very many predecessors when we left our our university. I think there were only one or two people who were taking over the organization from us. So we really didn't know what the future of the organization was going to hold. So the more people you can get rallying around your cause, the more power you're going to have as an organization and the better guarantee you will have that your organization will actually succeed moving forward and that it's not just going to be like a short spurt in the university's history. The second tip that I have would be to find some faculty or staff ally or accomplice who's willing to help you to form this organization and who's willing to help you get connected to the larger university. The nice thing about colleges and universities is that there are 
lots of resources available to students, but they're not always visible or the most accessible. So when you have someone who works for the university who's able to point you in the right direction or help you access those resources, it can make a huge difference. So I would say those are the two biggest things is making sure that you have a staff member or faculty member working with you and making sure that there's plenty of students working around you. Great. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that'll be really valuable for for people if anyone else is, you know, thinking of starting an organization or already working in one, how to, how to develop it as well. Great. And I wanted to ask you as well, now that you've done one year of medical school, what is it like being a, a member of the LGBTQ community at medical school? Is it different? Are there some difficulties or barriers for you that you'd like to share? Yeah, it's a very unique experience. Um, you know, the medical system, at least in the U.S., is still not built for people like me. It's still not built for LGBTQ plus people. Um, there are a lot of trailblazers within medicine who are making a difference and who are changing the system for LGBTQ plus patients and people working in the system. But there's still a long ways to go. You know, it's it's still an institution that was made for a very specific group of people. And there's lots of other marginalized communities working in this system that are trying to make it more accessible and more equitable for everyone else. So there have been times when I have felt kind of alienated because I am trans specifically, not so much because I'm queer, because that's something that I'm able to mask a little bit more, but it's harder to mask being a trans person in medicine. Um, I haven't run into so many challenges when I've been around other students, and I've been really fortunate Mm -hmm. because I'm just at a school where my classmates are amazing and the students that I'm around are consistently willing to step up and say something when they hear another student's identity being challenged or if they hear something being said about a specific group of patients that's not appropriate or that's inaccurate. You know, I've seen my classmates step up and say something on so many occasions, and they've done that for me and for my trans classmates and peers time and time again. It's it's more on the systemic level and the institutional level that it's been a little bit harder. But I do see change coming. I just think it, it's going to take more people and it's going to take more time for it, for it to be seen on a larger scale. That's really good to hear that there's you know your peers have been supportive. Um and yes, I think sometimes we don't notice how the system is um I mean especially me because I, I'm not part of the LGBTQ community. I I can't really understand how the system is made to advantage me, but it's really interesting to listen to those people who have that experience and be able to understand you know the system is made that way and that's why we need to change it and improve it so and how how has it been being on social media and all the campaigning that you've been doing i can't imagine it's been easy because it's it's a strange place out there on social media sometimes also lovely most of the time but (laughs) yeah it's you know it's actually been a largely positive experience and that's something that i'm really grateful for because not everyone has that kind of experience. Um, 
I think what's made it so positive for me is that one, it's a creative outlet. So it's nice to just be able to take a break from school and, you know, create some art and put it out into the world and also have it make a difference socially. But I've also been able to meet some really incredible doctors and healthcare workers through this, including you. (laughs) Um, I've met doctors across the U.S., um, I'm actually meeting a couple of them in person this weekend, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I still get hate comments. I still get threats. It's, social media is always going to be a scary place, but I've kind of learned to not let that part of it get to me. Um, I really just try and find all the joyful things about it and find all of the incredible people who are out there doing similar work and focus on those connections rather than focusing on all of the negativity that still somehow slips through the cracks. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, I think the community on social media, especially when, you know, I suppose people who follow you are people who really want to connect with you. So it can create a really nice community of people, like like-minded people sharing sharing things that different people can relate to and it can actually help many people to see, you know, someone talking about this topic and people in comments mm-hmm. as well being like, yes, I've had the same experience so um, that's Mm -hmm. that's really good that you've had that positive experience as well. Great I was wondering do you have any specific accounts that you think we should you know that you can recommend to people to to follow apart from your account of course which we'll put in the description (laughs) notes as well. Um, Yeah you know for people who want to learn more or some great pages that you've seen as out there for advocacy as well. Yeah so um, I'm going to focus more on some of the healthcare specific ones because there are some really great advocates and activists out there who are kind of more well known but a lot of the trans healthcare workers and doctors who are out there tend to be a little bit less well known. Um, So there's one named Dr. EJ Concours. They are an emergency medicine physician. Um, They're currently living in Chicago, but I think they're moving somewhere else soon. Don't remember where, but um, they do a lot of trans advocacy and also share their experiences working as an emergency medicine physician. Um, I believe they're... I'll look for their handle. I think it's doctor.ej, like the word doctor and then Mm. .ej, but I'll I'll double check that. We'll put that in the description as well. (laughs) Great. Perfect. Yeah. Um, They're a fantastic one. There's a couple of other queer folks. Um, The Curly Med is a great one. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I've done into Obzon training, a residency, didn't she? Yeah. It's been great. Yeah, yeah, she's just about to start. Um, she was actually the immediate past executive director for the National Medical Student Pride Alliance in the U.S. So she's wow. been a really big LGBTQ leader and trailblazer in the U.S. Yeah, she's pretty incredible. <laughs> um, I can think of a bunch more, but I let's see. Queer Surgeon's another good one, too. Um, oh yes I think I started following them from your account as well and really interesting things yeah really interesting things um to to learn about yeah great I'll if you think of any others we can all put them in the description so that people can go and support and also just learn more about it yeah absolutely I will I'll like go through my list and I'll send them to you (laughs) that's that's really good I I guess 
I wanted to ask this question as well for some people out there who might not who might not know why them as medical students need to learn about the LGBTQ community. Let's say if they're not a part of the community, they might be like, oh, but I'm a med student, I'm just going my own way. Why is it important for me to start learning about this issue? Yeah, I can tell you right now that even as a first year medical student, I have already seen patients who are part of the LGBTQ plus community. And the amount of times that, you know, someone has seen a pride sticker on my badge, or sometimes I wear like pride pins on my white coat. When they see that, it's like you can sense the relief in the room. Mm. Um, It's really important to at least learn about the specific challenges and experiences that the LGBTQ plus community faces, because depending on where you live, they may not feel safe accessing healthcare. I know that there are a lot of situations in which I don't, and I can say similar things about a lot of the queer and trans people that I know personally. So when you are seeing an LGBTQ plus patient, if you already have that background knowledge about the community and about certain things that you may need to know regarding LGBTQ health, like what gender affirming care is and what gender-affirming surgery is, how to provide gender-affirming hormone therapy, how to ask sexual health questions in an inclusive way that won't make LGBTQ patients feel uncomfortable, how to talk about HIV prevention, um, how to talk about romantic relationships versus sexual relationships, how to talk about polyamorous relationships when you have more than one partner. If you already have a knowledge of that going in, it really creates an environment of safety and trust building for your patients so that they can actually feel more comfortable sharing their experiences with you and you can provide better, more individualized care to them. It's it's really about trying to understand your patients as individuals and not expecting them to teach you about their whole community. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's really interesting to hear. And it's really important, like you said. One one experience I had it, my first week as a doctor, actually, was there was um, a patient who was from the community. And actually, even, you know, me, as I'm really open-minded and trying to learn, I realized that at med school, we haven't been taught at all. We're not equipped how to, you know, best support uh, people from the community. So I was like, oh, I really need to learn more. And because when you're in that situation, you want to best support the person because, you know, you're, you're a doctor and actually sometimes you're just not taught how to. At my medical school, we had a couple of lectures actually on some of the topics you mentioned, like you said, um, gender affirming care or talking about HIV prevention. Not enough teaching, of course, regarding that. So hopefully there's more to come, some improvements to come. But it's definitely, I think, really important for everyone to learn about it. And I really appreciate that, you know, when you had that patient and recognized that there were still things that you needed to learn personally, I really admire that, like, you recognized that and took the initiative to learn that. Because not every doctor does that. Not every healthcare worker does that. So when you're able to say, like, I don't know this about the community that my patient's coming from, or I don't know the specific thing that 
I want to understand about my patients. I'm going to go learn about this. That really makes a big difference for the health and well-being and just the overall experience that your patient is going to have. So thank you for doing that. That's that's a really important lesson for people to learn. Yeah, I'm hoping that if anyone else has been in that situation as well, they can feel empowered to just get more information and, like you said, realize that they don't know and it's okay to just not know and apologize and then look more mm-hmm. into it. So... Uh, because it, it's not it's not comfortable, but it's even more uncomfortable for the patient. So that's why we have to be better and improve on that. So um, thank you again for for sharing that. Um, I think we're coming towards the end of the episode, but I've got a few more things to ask you. Did you have any resources to recommend to our listeners to learn more about LGBTQ community in healthcare or any other topic that you want to share that I can put them in the notes but if you want to share some books some movies some podcasts anything that you recommend yeah so there is an author by the name of Juno Dawson um, and she has written a couple of books called what's the tea and this book is gay and those are two incredible books just for getting some background on the trans experience, the queer experience. They're both really incredible reads and they also have beautiful covers. So if you need a good book um, that'll help you learn some things along the way. Great. Thank you so much. And I'll put them in the description as well so people can check them out. And I also wanted to ask you, what would you say to your 18 year old self or 16 year old self you know something that you'd say to your younger self I know it's a hard question but I can sometimes get people to reflect on really important lessons they've learned so far yeah um don't focus too much on the little things you know not everything is going to be perfect along this journey and that's okay life is not perfect people are not perfect and you will make it to whatever goal you set for yourself as long as you work hard and work smart think about the steps that you are taking make sure you're actually enjoying the process as much as you can but if something doesn't go exactly to plan it's okay you know life will figure itself out you will figure it out even if it's not exactly how you wanted it to be it will be okay in the end Great. Oh, that's really lovely and that's really important as well. And I guess our final question, you we've talked about so many different topics today, so everyone knows that you know you do so many things outside of medical school, but what does it mean for you the phrase more than medical students and what do you think about this topic? Yeah. Um, you know, specifically being a trans person in medicine and being part of the LGBTQ+ community, I think having that experience reminds me so much that like I am a person outside of medicine (laughs) and it's so easy to lose sight of that when you're just diving into biochem or whatever it is that you're studying at the time it's so easy to lose sight of our own humanity or the humanity of people around us and I think sometimes the system that we're learning in or working in also forgets that we're people so to me it just really means you know remembering who you are what makes you the beautiful human that you are and trying to 
hold on to the things that you enjoy about yourself and about your life. Because ultimately, you know, we're not superheroes. We may do superhuman things, but we're still people at the end of the day. We still go home. We still have lives and families and pets and, you know, plenty of things to focus on outside of medical school or outside of work as doctors. So for me, it just means remembering that we are deserving of the love and care that we offer to our patients because at the end of the day, we're all in the same playing field. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Really, yeah, really lovely to to hear. And thank you again for your time. Uh, It's really great to have you on and to talk about these really important things. Do you want to just remind everyone your socials and where they can reach you if they want to get in touch or learn more about you? Yeah, so my Instagram is at nb.delia. So that's at E-N-B-Y dot D-E-L-I-A. And my YouTube channel is transdocintraining. Great. Amazing. I will put all that in the description as well. Thank you so much again for joining me. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't hesitate to share the podcast and also just message us if you like the episode. Uh, Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Delia. Thank you for having me.